Moses and Aaron's initial audience with Pharaoh gave Moses the opportunity to introduce Pharaoh to the God of Israel. And at that time, the Lord was in none of Pharaoh's thoughts. But by the time the Lord finished multiplying his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, both Pharaoh, his people, and the children of Israel would all know that God is the Lord. You're looking too far for that need to have. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Tonight we're looking at Exodus chapter 7 and 8. I gave an overall title to these two chapters, Who is Like the Lord? But for chapter 7, I titled it, A Hardened Heart. And I did so because we find that the Lord had already instructed Moses that Pharaoh would harden his heart against the word that Moses would give to Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And in fact, we find that there would be a repeated hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. And we're going to discover a little bit of the truths behind that as we go into chapter 7 tonight. And also in chapter 7 and 8, we begin the plagues of Egypt, looking at several of them tonight, beginning with the first plague of the water becoming blood, and then taking us through the fourth plague, and that of flies in the land of Egypt. And we're going to look at that from a different perspective in the sense that uh, maybe not different to you, but with the understanding that God was doing something not only to prove himself strong in the sight of the Egyptians, but also coming against the gods of the Egyptians. And so these plagues have significance in that the Lord was showing himself mighty in the children of Israel, also in the children of Egypt, but specifically targeting the gods of Egypt with these plagues. And so we'll begin looking at four of the ten plagues that God would bring upon the nation of Israel tonight. We begin in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Now this was in part because Moses had not originally accepted 
God's total plan for his life. He actually complained to the Lord when the Lord finally called him to go to the children of Israel. He did not want to go. He argued a bit with the Lord there on the mountain of God, there at the burning bush. And at one point he said, I don't speak very well. And then he said, send somebody else by the voice of anyone else, just anyone else but me. And God said, well, your brother Aaron is coming out to meet you here in the wilderness, and he shall be your voice. In Exodus 4.16, God responded to Moses' complaint by saying, send by the hand of whomever else you may send. God said, so he shall be your spokesman, speaking of Aaron, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. So we desire as believers today to hear from the Lord and to be used by him to speak uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to hear from the Lord. In fact, the Lord would cry out to the prophet Ezekiel to hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. But for Moses, he would hear a word from God's mouth relay it to Aaron, and then Aaron would be the one who would give warning and speak a word. And so, again, God reiterates what he had told Moses on the mountain of God, that Aaron will be your spokesman, you will be as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. And so, from Pharaoh's perspective he would have some lessons to learn with Moses and Aaron coming before him. God had desired Moses to be the instrument of his deliverance and his unwillingness to wholeheartedly answer God's call caused Moses to share that call with his brother. I don't think it's necessarily bad to share a call that God places upon your heart with others. In fact, I've often said from this pulpit, over the years that I've been here, that many hands do easy work or light work. I would rather not have to do it all, and I don't do it all. But we are to individually desire to fulfill the call that God has placed upon our hearts individually, and then corporately we combine those giftings, and God can use them for his glory. Presently, God was building the spirits of his reluctant messengers, both Moses and Aaron. They've already stood before the Egyptian king and caused trouble to come upon the children of Israel. And so God basically repeats the earlier instructions that he had given to them. In verse 2, he says, You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land. At the same time, God was doing something at a spiritual level in the heart of Pharaoh. And I believe he would continue to do this throughout the sign of the rod turning into a snake, as we'll read about in a moment, or the ten plagues. God is working on the heart of Pharaoh at the same time. But he also, once again, tells Moses in advance 
what he would do to the heart of Pharaoh in verse 3 and going down to verse 5. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have stretched out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So Moses, again, was to hear from God, communicate that message that he heard from God to Aaron. Aaron then would relay the message, the word of the Lord, to the children of Israel, but also to Pharaoh. Yet Pharaoh's heart would continually grow hard against the Lord, which would cause God to do signs and wonders in all the land of Egypt, and in the end, God would deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. Remember, when Moses and Aaron first came to Pharaoh, in Exodus 5, verse 2, Pharaoh responded to their request to let the children of Israel go. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So Pharaoh had asked the question, who is the Lord? And God said, I'm going to show you who I am. Moses and Aaron's initial audience with Pharaoh gave Moses the opportunity to introduce Pharaoh to the God of Israel. And at that time, the Lord was in none of Pharaoh's thoughts. But by the time the Lord finished multiplying his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, both Pharaoh, his people, and the children of Israel would all know that God is the Lord. So the Bible tells us, verses 6 and 7, Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron, they took courage and did all that God commanded them, even at their great age. Now, admittedly so, according to the Bible, they lived longer lives back then. So an 80-year-old who's going to live to be 120 may be more like, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 years old if we would try to compare it. He, he still had another 40 years ahead of him. I don't believe that I have another 40 years ahead of me. I don't picture being 101 years old. It could happen, but I doubt it. But no matter the age, we're never too young, we're never too old to follow God's call on our lives. Psalm 105, 26. I'm going to keep jumping back to Psalm 105 because we find in each, almost all of these sections that the psalmist wrote about these events. And in Psalm 105, 26, the psalmist tells us he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, who he had chosen. So the first sign, these signs that Moses and Aaron did before Pharaoh here to turn the rod of God into a snake, we find that 
This was one of three signs that God had given to Moses while he was there at the burning bush on the mountain of God. And now he had, is going to reveal that sign before Pharaoh. But he had already shown this sign, although they don't go into detail about it, to the children of Israel. And showing that sign to the children of Israel caused them to believe and worship the Lord according to Exodus 4, 29 and 31. However, Pharaoh, who was accustomed to supernatural events of occult worship, we might say, he would not believe in the Lord God. And so he's going to have a whole different take in response to seeing the rod turn into a snake. Uh, this rod turning into a snake, it caused Moses to believe. Uh, no doubt Aaron and the elders of the children of Israel to believe. But for Pharaoh and his wise men, his magicians, sorcerers, they would just see it as another magic trick that they too could also perform. So it was, verses 9 and 10, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded them. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But then they had a battle, a battle of the uh, rods, the battle of the snakes. Pharaoh, verses 11 through 13, called the wise men the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. I wonder how Moses and Aaron felt at that moment. They thought they had something that they had no doubt never seen before. But suddenly it's like, oh yeah, we can do that too. So all the men threw down their rods. They became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed to them as the Lord had said. So the Egyptian sorcerers doing the same gives evidence of the satanic influence that was there and is there probably to this day in the land of Egypt. In fact, we read about two of these sorcerers in the New Testament. When Paul, in his last epistle, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Corrupt men, a men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all, as theirs was also. So Janus and Jambres, Moses would ultimately show their folly, as Paul referred to it. He said, just as it had happened in Moses' day, so it would happen in the day that Paul lived in. For those men of corrupt minds, it would eventually be revealed. We have no further information concerning Janus and Jambres in the Bible, except for what is found 
here in 2 Timothy 3, as far as their names are concerned, but according to Jewish tradition, they were two Egyptian magicians, magicians, not music. Maybe they could play music, I'm not sure, but magicians who opposed Moses, the demand that Moses gave them to free Israel. And so they sought to duplicate the miracles of Moses in an attempt to discredit him before Pharaoh. And this is something that Satan always tries to do. Wherever Satan might attempt to triumph God, we need to understand that God is always greater. As seen through Aaron's rod, swallowing up the rods or the snakes of the Egyptians, and still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We need to know that in this world we might see a lot of deceptive things, but we need to know that God is always greater, as John reminds us in 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's something we just need to often remind ourselves of, that God who is in us is greater than he, the false gods of this world, he who is in this world. And so it was, Psalm 105, verse 27, they performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. And so the psalmist referring to the work of God through the hand of Moses and Aaron. We come to the first plague, it's water turned into blood, verses 14 through 25. And this is the first of 10 plagues that God brought upon Egypt. And here turning the water into blood. And we begin reading in verses 14 through 17. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. And when he goes out to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned into a serpent, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. See that once again, the Lord saying, By this you shall know. God is teaching Pharaoh. You shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. So the Nile River for the nation of Egypt, to this day, it represents life to them. We have uh, TV commercials talking about the uh, special cotton that is grown there in the delta of the Nile River. Well, this happens because, and I don't know how much they control the Nile today, but there was the annual flooding of the Nile River, which caused the silt of the river to come up on the land there to make it very um, fertilized and fruitful. The overflowing of her banks would really result in life, not only water of drinking, but it provided for them with the crops that they were able to grow and the rich, fertile soil that they had there. So, the Nile represented life to Egypt. But as Moses and Aaron came down to the water that day, 
And the Lord, picking up in verse 19 through 21, the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod, stretch it out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over the rivers, over their ponds, over all the pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. You see a little repetition there for Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. All they were doing is what God instructed them to do. And that's all we could ask of ourselves. And so it was, he lifted up the rod, he struck the waters that were in the river and in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood and the fish that were in the river dried, the river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. The ten plagues are more than just supernatural phenomena, but God showing the Egyptians that their gods were no match against the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. Some of these gods, and I went on a list of Egyptian gods, and they, they varied depending on what the years you were looking at, but they had just a long list of gods. And so I was looking through the long list, trying to identify certain gods that may be connected with the Nile River here, connected with frogs, connected with uh, flies. And, and we'll look at these as we go through it. But there was a god named Kenum, also known as the Great Potter, and believed to be an early god of the Upper Egypt. And the early myths of this god is that he fashioned human beings from the clay of the Nile River and then held them up high to the light of Ra, the sun, to give life to them. And then humans were placed in the wombs of those. It's kind of a stork thing going on here. The humans were placed in the wombs of those who would give birth to them on the earth. And so he's depicted as a ram-headed god symbolizing fertility there in the land. And so connected to the Nile itself. And then there is Satis, the goddess of the south border of Egypt, that she sometimes seen with Kanum, the god of the Nile, that it's believed that she is linked to that of the Nile itself. But also I was thinking about this. It was not just the water turning into blood. What happened in the water? When the water turned to blood, the fish died and the land stank, according to the New King James. And they worshiped fish as well. Hatmit was a fish goddess worshiped there in the Delta region. Her name means foremost of the fish. And so they worship fish as well. And so their water of life turned into blood. Their little gods of fish that they worship uh, dying on the shorelines. And Psalm 105, 29, he turned their waters into blood and killed their fish. Who is like the Lord? No one. There's only one God and one mediator between God and men the man, Jesus Christ. And only through Jesus and no other can we be saved.
So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart, Lord, it was something that you told Moses would happen, but we also find that Pharaoh was doing some of his own hardening of his own heart. And there was a point, Lord, where you would just make firm his decision. I pray for those, Lord, who have hardened hearts toward you, Lord. They're in a similar way, hardened their heart against you, like Pharaoh did, maybe not to the extreme. But if they don't turn to you at some point in their life, you will at one point make firm the condition of their heart. I pray, Lord, that those who would hear my voice would never get to that place, but would instead give their heart to you, Jesus, that they might be saved. I pray for those who are sick and suffering. I pray, Lord, that we would be lights to you and that we would let our light shine in this age that we find ourselves in. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. I pray that God would bless you and keep you that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646 That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.